services this evening. Um, always good to be able to come together in the middle of the week and be refreshed in the Word of God, and that's what this is for me, and I hope and pray that is true for you as well, that we tonight would leave here refreshed, we'd leave here strengthened um, by the truth of the Word of God. When God's people come together in God's place, in God's presence, with His truth, that's an amazing thing, and I'm so thankful that you're here tonight. Take your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight in just a moment. But before we do that, um, I just want to have special prayer this evening. As many of you know, uh, Danny and Julie have taken Jesse down to Children's Hospital tonight. and um, He's down there to have his appendix taken out. And um, I just spoke to Danny right before service, and, and he was telling me that... Um, they're in the ER now waiting for everything to happen. So uh, we're going to pray for them especially in just a minute. And uh, it's always heartbreaking for a parent to be able to have to do that for their children. And so um, especially in an emergency situation. So we're definitely going to pray for them. Is there any other special needs tonight before we get started? Please pray for, uh, continue to pray for Brandy. Um, thank you for those who have texted and called and and um, been praying already for her. She had surgery yesterday and uh, everything is going well. Uh, she's still pretty sore and she's got a, a ways to go, but I'm glad to see her here tonight. And um, she's, doing, she's doing okay, but uh, keep her in your prayers daily. Remember every morning at 9 o'clock we pray one for another. And so when you pray tomorrow, uh, and even before then and after, please remember my wife. So thankful for her. Uh, she's such a blessing to me and a blessing to her church. And I'm so glad that the Lord answered our prayer in bringing her through the surgery. And she did well with it. Everything went great. And as far as we know, um, there was nothing found that uh, are going to give any trouble in the future. That's what the doctor was saying. And so I'm so very thankful for that. That's one thing that I was you know, praying for and worried about, as I told you Sunday. And so uh, praise be unto the Lord, man, that he still answers prayer and he hears us when we choose uh, to come before him. And I'm so thankful for that. Anyone else before we pray tonight? Tonight, and um, we'll get right into our service. Father God, we love you. And Lord, I'm so thankful for all of your many blessings. Lord, we're thankful tonight that you promised that we can be confident if we ask anything in accordance to your will, you hear us. And so Lord, tonight I'm not praying to hear myself speak. I'm not praying to a God who won't listen. Lord, I'm praying knowing that you hear me. And Lord, I'm praying knowing that you, you are able to answer my prayer. And Lord, I pray especially this evening for Jesse as he's in the hospital and for Danny and Julie as they carried him there, that, Father, you would comfort their hearts and bring healing to his body. Lord, you made him. You know exactly what he needs better than, uh, than anyone does. And so, Lord, I'm praying tonight that you would do just exactly what's necessary to bring complete healing um, to Jesse this evening. Lord, we pray that you would just work in that situation like only you can do. And God, if you choose to use doctors and nurses to do it, then Lord, give them the wisdom they need uh, to do the right thing when it needs to be done. If you choose to heal him even right now, God, we know that you're able. We know that you can do all things. And Lord, we never want to in any way belittle you or hinder you Lord, we just want to allow you to be who you are. And, Father, we're trusting you tonight. 
to bring healing to, to Jesse and comfort to his family. For you are the Prince of Peace. You're the God of all comfort. Lord, you are the great physician, and you're able to do all things. And I'm asking you to be there for that family. God, I ask for each and every prayer request that was mentioned tonight and those who weren't mentioned for whatever reason. God, you know the hearts and minds of each and every person here. And Father, I'm just asking, Lord Jesus, that you would bless in this fellowship of believers. God, you would grow this church, that you would do your work among your people that only you can do. Father, I'm thankful for what you have done, looking forward in faith to what you're going to do. And God, I'm asking that, Father, we would just continually seek you for you alone are worthy of honor, glory, and worship. You alone are worthy of our service. And so, Lord, may we always keep you first um, in our lives. Lord, may we always look to you. And, Father, may we always be desperate for you to move because, Lord, that's what we need. God, we pray for these services this evening. I can do nothing of myself. Lord, I want to do nothing of myself, so I'm praying that you would move me out of the way and use me for your honor and your glory. Lord, I am unworthy of your calling. But I'm thankful, Lord, that you allow me the great privilege of being a part of what you do. So, Lord, I'm praying that you open your scriptures to us this evening. Holy Spirit, teach us, for you are our teacher, our comforter, and our guide. God, I'm asking that you would have your way and your will in this service. And, Father, may you be honored and glorified in everything that takes place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 is what we'll be looking at uh, this evening. And if you've got your Bibles, and I hope and pray that you do, please turn there. As many of you know, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, straight through a book of the Bible on Wednesday nights. And so we find ourselves this week in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, before we go move on to the 7th chapter, let me just read to you one verse that we actually looked at last week but didn't have a whole lot of time to get into. Um, and that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse number 20, uh, very important, very powerful verse that I want us to all remember as we live our lives in a way that would be pleasing unto the Lord. Look what it says in verse 20. For ye are bought with the price, if you believe it, say amen. And watch what he says. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I love that verse. Let me tell you why. How many of you believe tonight that salvation is free? <laughs> See, the Bible says that we are given the gift of salvation by God's grace. The Bible says that we are redeemed or bought back freely because of what Christ has done for us. The Bible teaches that we can't work for salvation, that good works are not the reason for salvation, but good works are the result of salvation. Can you see me? And so we all understand and realize salvation is a free gift of grace that is given to everybody who places faith in the finished work of Christ. And for that, I praise Jesus. Salvation is free to all who receive it. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of things that you can get in this world today that is free. But the greatest gift that's ever been given is free to you. And that's the gift of salvation. I'm so thankful for it. But now let me tell you something. Even though salvation is certainly free, it's never been cheap. It's never been cheap. Listen, salvation, your salvation, my salvation, was purchased for us at the cross of Calvary. It costed the Son of God and God the Son, His own precious blood, His own dignity, amen, 
so that we might be saved. How many of you understand? He was uh, crucified naked and hung before God, between God and man for you and for me. It was his blood that was spilled, the blood spilled that can wash away our sin. And so you need to understand, even though salvation is free, and praise God for that fact, it's never been cheap. And so the Apostle Paul makes it plain to you to me, to the church at Corinth, to all of us. He, he says, if we understand this, then we ought to glorify God in our body, and we should. We should. We ought to want to do what's pleasing unto the Lord as people who claim the name of Jesus. Realizing even though salvation is a gift, even though it's free to us, it costs the Lord a great price. And so I want you to Think about that as we live our lives day by day, that we are to glorify Him. That should be our main goal. That should be our first priority and the purpose that we live for. Now let's move on to chapter 7. I just had to say that before we go any further this evening. We're going to look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. Now, folks, let me say something to you. Tonight, I'm, talking on a, I'm preaching on a very hard subject. And let me tell you why I'm doing that. I'm doing that because it's needful, and I'm doing that because it's in the Word of God. Can you say amen? And, and that's what we do. We preach through God's Word. We, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, expositorily go through what God has said because we realize all of it is beneficial for us. All of it is God's truth. And I'm going to tell you, if we'll take this truth, apply it to our lives, it'll make a difference in the life we live. It'll make a difference not only in our individual lives, but in our family, in our marriage, in our homes, in absolutely everything we do. God is the creator of life, and he knows how life is to be best lived. And so if we take his truth and apply it unto ourselves, be hearers of the word and then doers also, we can expect to see God's blessing uh, upon our lives, upon our marriages, upon every sphere of life that we enter into. And so I'm so thankful for that. That's why we're looking at what we're looking at this evening. I'm going to talk to you on the subject of sex. Now listen to me. I want to do this as tactfully as I possibly can, but I do want to preach on this subject because God's Word has a lot to say about it. A lot to say about it. Now, if there's one thing that I know, and I'm sure you know as well, we live in a sex-crazed society. Would you agree with that? No doubt about it. I mean, you see it everywhere you look, on every television that you turn on, in every newspaper that you read. We live in a world that in many ways is controlled uh, for many people by sex. And so I heard someone say years ago, something that I certainly agree with. They said sex sells and business is good. And they're right. That's exactly right. Um, just the other night, me and my family was watching a television show and uh, was gathered around the TV. And it was a very wholesome show, very good show. You don't find many of them any, anymore, but this one was. It was really good. And, and we try to watch it, watch it from time to time together. It has a lot of good messages, a lot of good meaning. And so as we were watching that, the show went off, it went to a commercial break, and a commercial for a frozen pizza came on. And before that commercial was over, I had to scramble for the remote 
to turn it because I was so embarrassed about what was going on in front of my 11-year-old little girl, my 15-year-old son. It, it, they had to use sex even to sell a frozen pizza. And I was like, my good, I cannot believe they actually put something like that, you know, at a time when, when families would be watching that. But that's the world that we live in. They understand sex sales and business is good. It's true on the television we watch, on the newspapers we read, on the social media that we're a part of. It's everywhere. Now, the world has its idea about what sex is to be. The world's idea, as far as sex is concerned, is if it feels good, do it. The world's idea, as far as sex is concerned, is that you shouldn't withhold anything that you Want for yourself. You shouldn't withhold anything that, that pleases you. And, but that's not what God says. God gives us boundaries on the gift, and it is a gift that he has given. Now, let me say something. Listen to me. God is not a cosmic killjoy. Some people believe that God's a gray-haired old grandfather sitting a million miles away on a throne somewhere, and he's this, his whole purpose is to ruin your good time. That's not what God does, and that's not who God is. God is a loving, heavenly Father, the creator of life, who knows how life is to be best lived. See the restrictions and boundaries that God has put on his gift of sex is not to hinder us, but to help us. It's not to burden us, but to bless us. Because again, he knows how life is to be lived best. And he wants what's best for me. And he wants what's best for you. And he wants what's best for your family. And so God puts some boundaries on the gift of sex that we need to look at. And he gives it to us right here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Now, let me give you... Just a few statements about sex before we go any further. First of all, like I said before, sex is a gift from God. And God gave it to us for at least three reasons. First of all, for procreation. We read in Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 28. If you will, you can turn your Bibles there. If not, you can look to the screen. Brother, if you will, put that on the screen for me. Genesis 1.28 says, Then God blessed them, meaning Adam and Eve, the man and woman that he created. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, multiply fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. I love that. Now, God said that man is to have dominion, but before man can truly have dominion, they had to multiply and fill the earth. And so the, the way that God chose for man to multiply and fill the earth was through a sexual relationship between a man and a woman. How many know a woman's made for a man and a man is made for a woman? That's certainly true physically. It's true emotionally. It's true in every way. God made man and woman to go together. God never intended that man should be with man or woman should be with woman, but God intended for the sexual relationship a man and a woman to come together and multiply. If you believe it, say amen. Now, not only is the gift of sex given from God for procreation, but it's also given for intimacy. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, watch this verse, verse number 24, it says that man and woman should come together and watch what it tells us. 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Great verse. Great verse. Now listen to me. The purpose for sex is for us to be involved in an intimate relationship with our spouse. The man and his wife. The wife and her husband becoming one flesh in intimacy. That's what the Bible is speaking of when it's talking about us becoming one flesh. And so, folks, we need to understand that sex was certainly given for the purpose of procreation so that we might multiply and fill the earth, but it's more than that. Listen, it's a gift given that should be enjoyed in a marital relationship. That's the way God set this up. That's what God has done uh, for us, and it is an amazing gift. Now, let's go on. He says, not, not only is sex given for procreation, not only is sex given for intimacy as a gift in the marital relationship, but it also, listen, sex is given, folks, for you and for me to come into a relationship with our spouse that, uh, that God is pleased with, that God wants. And, and so the, the Bible teaches that over and over and over again, not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. And I'm not going to give you a, a specific verse. I'm just going to ask you to go and read the book of Song of Solomon. And you go ahead and read the book of Song of Solomon, and you're going to see uh, that God has given us the gift of sex um, for, for the reason of us coming together in a way that pleases Him, um, in a way that can only be experienced in marriage. And, uh, man, it's such a powerful thing as you see what God has given us. Now, God puts boundaries on sexual relationships. And, and like I said before, the reason he does that is not to hinder us, but to help us. Not to burden us, but to bless us. Not to keep us from enjoying life, but to allow us to live life in a way that he has created life to be lived. And, and folks, when you do it God's way, when you honor God in your relationship, when you do what God wants, I promise you there's nothing better that the world can ever offer. But you got to do it God's way. If you want God's blessing on, on your relationship, you got to do it God's way. Amen? So very important that we see that. As a pastor, I counsel with married couples all the time. And if there's one thing I tell them, if you want God's blessing, you got to do it God's way. Amen? And God continually affirms that throughout his scriptures. So let's see what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 concerning the gift of sex. First of all, I want you to see the sanctity of sex in a marriage. Look at verses 1 and 2. Watch what it says. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, we'll get back to that in just a moment. But look on in verse number two. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. So according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 1 and according to Genesis chapter 2, verse number 24, according to Genesis chapter 1, verse number 28, what is God's design for the marital relationship? One man and one woman. Now I hear a whole lot, and you do too today, about the redefinition of marriage. Now let me say something to you folks. Marriage needs no redefinition. 
Let me tell you why. God has not changed his mind on how marriage is to operate. If God created marriage, don't you think God knows best what marriage is to look like? And God says over and over and over and over again, marriage should be between one man and one woman committed to one another before the Lord in their life. Now listen to me. You say, brothers, well, you know, in the Old Testament, Solomon, he had all these wives, and David, he had a bunch of wives, and all those men had a bunch of wives. Now listen to me, folks. Get a hold of this. A lot of the things that you read on the pages of Scripture are descriptive and not prescriptive. What do I mean by that? God gives us the full truth of what man did. God, in His grace still blessed man, not because man deserved it or did everything God was pleased with, but because God is good. However, just because God describes what those men did then, it does not mean that God prescribed that for me and for you. God has told us, as far as the Bible teaches to me, that marriage has always been between one man and one woman. The sexual relationship should be between one man and one woman inside the boundary of marriage. How do I know that? Well, not only from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but Hebrews chapter number 13. Watch what it says. Hebrews 13, 4. Very important verse. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So what's he saying? He's saying sex is a gift that should be enjoyed inside the bonds of marriage, inside the boundary of marriage. The marital bed is undefiled. Now, if you ain't married, you don't need to be in the bed. Does it make sense? We will not ever be pleasing unto the Lord by engaging in a sexual relationship outside the bonds of marriage. Oh, but Brother Israel, you're just old-fashioned. I mean, that's, that's a really old-fashioned way of thinking. God has not changed his mind on this subject. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be overly critical. I'm just saying... God puts it as plain as the nose on your face. The marital bed is undefiled. And if you're going to enjoy the sexual relationship, you need to do it inside the boundary of marriage. And I'm telling you, you do it God's way and it'll be right. And it'll truly be a blessing. And you'll truly see it as a gift. But you've got to do it God's way. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 16, and we've already looked at this, but I do want to reiterate what he says in the 16th verse of chapter 6. Watch how he puts it. What, know you not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. Now listen to me, folks. Get a hold of this. Paul says, I believe he's the writer of the book of Hebrews. I'm not going to be too dogmatic on that. We know the Holy Spirit wrote the book of Hebrews. I think he used Paul to do it. A lot of people disagree with that, but 
Anyway, the writer of the book of Hebrews says the marital bed is undefiled. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we should not be going to a harlot to have sexual relations. Over and over and over again, he warns against this. Now, it's amazing to me that God has created us to live in a way outlined in his precious word. Did you hear that? He created us to live like he said we ought to live. How do I know that? Do you realize that when a man or a woman enters into a sexual relationship with another person, a hormone in their, in their body is released called oxytocin or vasopressin. And do you know what those hormones do, what they're actually for? It's to bond you to that person that you were having relation with. So why did God do that? He did that so that when a husband and a wife come together in a sexual relationship inside the bonds of marriage, they are bound together for a lifetime. We're created to do things God's way. And when we go against what God says, we miss out on the good things he has for us. On that true intimacy that comes when the marital bed is undefiled. Amen? So, first of all, you need to see the sanctity of marriage. It's one man, one woman, that's God's plan. It's always been God's plan. It's always going to be God's plan. And I'm going to emphatically say tonight, please listen to me, same-sex marriage is sinful. It's unscriptural. And I don't care what anybody says, it's wrong. I don't care if the Supreme Court says it's right. I don't care if legislators say it's right. I don't care if presidents say it's right. God says it's wrong and God is the creator of marriage itself. We must stand on the truth of the word of God. Now please don't misunderstand me. Anybody who is engaging in a homosexual relationship, I want you to know God can, by his grace, change their life. I am not up here trying to overly hate the sins that I don't participate in because many times we do that. You know, it's really easy to hate the sins you don't commit. We'll look over our sin and hate somebody else's sin. So I am telling you emphatically that it's wrong, but I'm also telling you emphatically that God's grace is available to all who will receive it. If you remember 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says that the effeminate, and those who abuse themselves with mankind or enter into homosexual relationships will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then it says in verse number 11, but such were some of you. So what was Paul saying? That's where you were. But by God's grace you've been changed. 
That's how you did live. But God loves you. And God had purpose for you. And God, by His grace, reached down into the pit that you were in, pulled you out of the miry clay, set your feet upon a rock, and established your going. Just like He did mine. Amen? God's grace is available. But we've got to call right, right, and wrong, wrong. We've got to call sin what it is. And any kind of sexual relationship outside the bonds of marriage is sinful. You can't expect God's blessing until you do it God's way. Oh, folks, God is so good. He wants the best for you. Do it His way. Apply His truth to your life. Then he goes on to say this. Not only do I, need to, do I want you to see the sanctity of sex in the marital relationship, but I also want you to see the selflessness of sex in a marital relationship. Look at verse number 3. Watch how he puts it. Let the husband render unto the wife due her benevolence, and likewise the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body but the husband, and likewise the husband hath not power over his own body but the wife. So what, there's two words here in these two verses that we need to pay close attention to. One of them is render and the other one is power. If you really want to get a hold of what God's word is saying, pay attention to the verbs. All right? One of the verbs that's used here is render. The word render means to give in verse number three. So what's the Bible saying? Let the husband give unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Sex in the marital relationship should be a selfless act. We're giving ourselves to the other person. Dr. Adrian Rogers says something about this verse that I absolutely love and it's so true. He said, lust is always about getting. He said, love is always about giving. And he's right. When you're in a loving relationship with your spouse and you want to show them physically how much you love them, then you render or give yourself to them. It's a selfless act. You don't withhold sex in the marriage. You give to the other person because that's what God says we are supposed to do. Amen? That's what it tells us. Dr. Warren Wiersbe says, sex is not the most important thing in a marriage, but it's very important. And he goes on to say that sex in a marriage is a tool that we use to build with, not a weapon we use to fight with. That is so good. Man, I'm telling you, like I said before, I've counseled with many married, married, married couples who use sex not as a tool to build with. It's not a selfless act of giving themselves to one another, but they use it as a weapon. And they withhold it as a weapon. And when you do that, you will create resentment in your marriage. You will absolutely tear down the marriage God has given you if you don't give yourself to the other person. 
Not only will you create resentment between one another, but you will give Satan himself an open door to wreak havoc in your home. When a husband or a wife chooses to withhold sex in the marriage and uses it as a weapon, then automatically Satan will speak, shoot those fiery darts of doubt and put those thoughts in your mind. Well, if she's not willing or he's not willing, somebody is. And believe you me, believe you me, Sloppy Steve at the workplace, at the grocery store, wherever, is more than willing to do what a husband may not be willing to do in the home. And Shady Sue at the workplace or the grocery store or wherever is more than willing to do what a wife is not willing to do in the home. Guard against Satan's attack on your marriage by selflessly giving to one another what is due in the marital relationship. That's what Paul is saying. Sex should be a selfless act. Now, let me just go a step further and say this, and I'm done. Listen to me. A man, when it comes to sex, when it comes to the sexual relationship and sexual intimacy, listen to me, ladies, is excited by what he sees. A woman is excited by what she feels emotionally. If we'll understand that, it helps everywhere around. Dr. Gary Chapman, who wrote the five love, love languages, he said this, I loved it. He said that if you will spend more time talking around the dinner table, you'll have a better time in the bedroom. What did he mean by that? Connect emotionally and physically. Both emotional and physical connection makes the marriage what it ought to be. And it helps the husband and the wife. And that's what God wants. We should be enjoying our marital relationship. We should be enjoying the gift that God has given. As we selflessly give to one another what God says we should. Does that make sense? The sanctity of sex in marriage. The selfless act of sex in a marriage. But I also want you to see the security of marital sex. Look at verse number 5. Watch what he says. Defraud ye not the one the other, except it be with concern for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak to you this by permission and not of commandment. So what's he saying? He's saying that, if you separate for a time for spiritual reasons, for prayer and for fasting, that's one thing. But remember, when you separate to come back together, remember that when you make that decision to not enter into sexual relationship, that you always remember to come back and enter into it again. Because if you don't, 
Again, that opens up all kinds of doors for Satan to tear down the home, to tear down the marriage. Man, I see it all the time as a pastor. It's a sad thing. So we must do things God's way if we want God's blessing. Now, some of you may be sitting here tonight and you say, Brother you know, this is all about, you know, for the married couples. This is all about for marriages and, and how they are supposed to uh, do life. Well, what about if I'm single? Well, the Apostle Paul deals with that as well. Let me give you three truths about the single life that he tells us here. First of all, he says that the single life is a good life. Look at verse number one. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So what's Paul saying? He's saying it's, it's actually a good thing if you want to remain single. Nothing wrong with that. Now, it's not necessarily the best thing for everybody, but it's a good thing if that's for you. If that's what God wants for you. If that's what you're pleased with, and many people are. I, I, I've got a, a dear friend of mine, you know, that um, serves the Lord faithfully, never been married. And, and, he's, he, and he's, he's told me several times, he said, man, that's just not something I, was, I ever really wanted. I never really wanted a wife and a, and a home. And, and that brother continually, you know, has the ability and has the time and has uh, the opportunity to go and serve the Lord in any way that he possibly wants to. Nothing wrong with that. Paul says, you can be like me, that's a good thing. Now, I think Paul at this time, uh, he was a widower. I think he had been married, but I think now um, his wife had died, and, and he says, if you don't want to, to, uh, to be with a woman or a woman, you don't want to be with a man, that's a good thing. Maybe it's not the best thing for everybody, but it's a good thing for those that God has led to do so. All right? Now, it's a good thing, and, and it's a good life, and it's also a gifted life. Look at verse number six. Watch what he says. But I speak you this by permission and not of commandment. For I would not that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. He said there's some people that uh, are gifted to live life this way. You know, whether it be a woman or a man, they want to live the single life, and, and that's a gifted life that God can use. And again, you'll have more opportunity, you'll have more ability, many times to serve the Lord in a greater way if you don't have the responsibility of a family. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, but he says that's not what you have to do. Amen? It's really not. You don't have to be that way. It's not even that you should be that way. He said some are gifted for that lifestyle and some are not. That's what he said in 6 and 7. Then he says, look at verse number 8. I say therefore to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them uh, that if they abide, even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. So what's he talking about? He's not talking about burning in hell. He said, look, if you can't contain yourself, it's better for you to marry than to burn with lust. It's better for you to marry than for that to be on your mind continually and hinder everything you do. Then if that's the case, you need to be praying that God gives you a husband or gives you a wife and you need to marry and enjoy the marital relationship as God has set forth in his word. It's a gifted life. It's a good life. It's not the only way to do things. Paul said if you want to live the life of a single man or a single woman, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a gifted life, it's a good life, but it ought to be a guarded life. Now what do I mean by that? It ought to be a guarded life because again, women are women 
men are men and men have certain feelings and women have certain feelings and you know what I'm talking about. And you've got to guard yourself against that if you choose to live the single life. Because if you don't, it's going to hinder you walk with Christ. Does this make sense to you? Folks, I hope that tonight this has been done as tactfully as possible. I am not in any way um, trying tonight to embarrass you. <laughs> That's certainly not my intention. But I do want to preach the truth, and I think this needs to be said. If the world has its idea about sex, we need to know what God says about it. We need to know what God says about it. And God says a lot about it. It's a gift that he's given, and it's a good thing, if done God's way. Any comments or questions?